Please stand with me to honor this gospel lesson that we will hear. This is from Mark 13. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be and what will be the sign that these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. <clears throat> May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. You heard in the scripture just then that idea of the end, the end that will come. And Christians often scramble to First Thessalonians or Daniel or Revelations to describe the end the end that is portrayed in those books with antichrists, technicolor steeds, multi-headed beasts, and bloody moons. But that's not what's happening in Mark as Jesus talks with his disciples, is it? Jesus and the disciples are discussing the actual material condition of the literal temple, which we all know was destroyed in 70 CE. Can I see the destruction slide for just a moment here? Jesus talks about the real condition of earthquakes and wars and times when we will see things like this. It's important to see that in our frame, through our lens, in our day. For those who travel to Palestine to see what's going on there now, you see bombed out buildings today buildings with rebar sticking out, crumbling granite or, or concrete all around. That is a reality. And there are realities that we see here in our area too. We see floods and hurricanes and all kinds of things. Certainly the pandemic is one such thing. Reverend Raquel Letsum explains that one of the functions of apocalyptic literature, which this is referencing is to explain the current circumstances of its readers in light of God's unfolding plan. 
That's important because if we walk around thinking that when we believe in God, everything will be good, if we believe in a prosperity gospel that says, if we believe in God, we'll have plenty of money, or everything will always be happy, that's just not the way it is. God is with us to walk through those times with us, to give us hope. The Messiah was expected to arrive before the end that is referenced in the scripture this morning. The arrival of the Messiah understood to install a reign of absolute peace and justice for Israel was a signal for the end. But maybe you also notice the contradiction here. The role of Messiah was to preside over a liberated world. So we know that the end this passage speaks of cannot be the end of everything. We're not talking about the destruction of the world. We're talking about the culmination of the kingdom of God, which is promised to us here. The disciples in this passage admire the physical beauty of the building, its grandeur. But Jesus reminds them that buildings fall, that false teachers lead us astray. And he is pointing us toward the coming of the kingdom, the time when we are all kin, when we are all related to one another, caring for each other as family members. Jesus points towards that kingdom, which is an end of things which do not manifest love, which do not manifest peace, those systems that are unjust and harmful and oppressive to our neighbors. The things Jesus mentions connote transformation and change. But we know that change is hard. Change, we must. We are called as Methodists in this place, in this time, to transform the world by making disciples. So transform isn't just a word, it's something that is ongoing, it's something that we must strive to do in everything, through our church services, through our personal study, through our missions in the world. We are called to transform the world, to bring it into a time of peace and love that is promised. There's a quote that I'm going to ask Deborah to post here that comes from Eric Hoffer, a U.S. philosopher and author, that says, in times of change, the learners inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. So when we build and build and build things, much as those Israelites did, that are for a certain time, they will have to be transformed to meet the needs of a new time. So we must constantly be learning. We must constantly be flexible and adapting to new things as they come down the road. Unfortunately, change always involves the loss of something. It's often better, but it always involves loss. And sometimes those losses are incredibly difficult for us. We grieve our lost past. We grieve for the way things used to be. Maybe it's the fact that we once had a bustling Sunday school, always vibrant and full of many, many children. 
Maybe it's the MYF, the Methodist Youth Fellowship. I never played this game because I wasn't brought up in the Methodist tradition or any tradition that did this particular game. And I think it's called Sardines, where you go and hide and then somebody comes and as you find each other, more and more people pile into the same closet. That sounds like a lot of fun. I would love to be able to do that with somebody someday. But it's a thing of the past. And I've learned the same thing. When I first came to Wesley as a layperson years ago, that there was this thing called progressive dinners. Boy, didn't that sound like a lot of fun, going to one person's house for salad and the next person's for the main course and the next person's for dessert. But that's a thing of the past. These things, even though they are good, we have changed. We have modified the way we do things to adapt to the needs of society as it currently exists. For us at Wesley right now, we are grieving that the children's program is not what it once was and hasn't been for quite a while, not just because of COVID. And although the loss of the ability to move and gather freely is a reality for us today, still some of us manage to sit here together. A lot of us manage to watch online or on CCTV later on. We still hear that message of Christ, and it still is compelling us to share the grace of God with others. That all still needs to happen. Nadia Boltz Weber is a great um, Lutheran pastor. She's out in Denver, Colorado, and she became very popular when some of her books were highly regarded. She has this great analogy about when things change. She says that there was once a time when we used phone booths. We made sure we had a dime in our pocket and we would use a phone booth to call someone. But nowadays, there are not phone booths on every corner. So that must mean that nobody needs phones anymore, right? Of course not. We all have a phone in our pocket now. We still need to convey the messages, right? We still need to have that ability to communicate with one another. And in the very same way, God's message still needs to be shared with the world to begin to bring that kingdom of peace and justice and love. Maybe we're grieving the loss of the education wing to a new purpose, even though that purpose is wonderful, even though this mission with Family Promise is so fantastic, it means that furniture is moved to new places. Things that we once used these rooms for are not going to be the things they are used for in the future. So even though there's great transformation going on, there is loss. And the way to deal with that loss is to acknowledge it, to talk about it, to cherish the memories, and then to move on. Psychologists remind us that major life events are causes of stress. Bad ones, obviously. If we are diagnosed with a devastating illness or a loved one passes away, those things obviously cause us great stress. And when they are compounded one upon the other, it's almost unbearable. And right now, with so many of us dealing with things in our own lives, on top of the anxiety produced by COVID, it's a very anxious time we live in. When psychologists talk about those major life events, though, they're not just talking about the bad ones. Even the wonderful things in our lives, like a new job, a new relationship, a new home, are stressful because there's so much energy that goes into making that change, to doing things in a new way. And again, if we acknowledge that, 
and are grateful for it, talk about it with each other, and move on. It's the way to handle those kinds of stresses. Because we are the people called Methodists in this place at Wesley, in the greater Concord community, we are uniquely situated for such a time as this, as we read in Esther, for such a time as this, we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ to transform the world. Sometimes that happens in ways we can't even imagine. Maybe we share a little bit of our story with someone, and they see how much we love our God, our relationships with our friends at church, and they want to have a little piece of that too. It's a good thing. So I want to tell you this morning a little story that was made popular by Henry Nouwen, but we think it was originally written by Pablo Luis Molinero because it appears that Henry Nouwen has adapted it. There's another image I'd like you to put up now of two babies. You might have heard this, and if you have, I encourage you to just listen closely and hear what it has to say to you anew. I'm talking about change. I'm talking about how unexpected and wonderful change can be. The first baby asked the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The second baby replied, why, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, says the first baby. There is no life after delivery. What would that life be? I don't know, but there will be more light than here. Maybe we will walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. The doubting baby laughed. That's absurd. Walking isn't possible. And eat with our mouths? Ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition. Life after delivery is to be excluded. The umbilical cord is too short. The second baby held his ground. I think there is something, and maybe it's different than it is here. The first baby replied, no one has ever come back from there. Delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness and anxiety, and it takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the twin, but certainly we will see mother, and she will take care of us. Mother, the first baby guffawed, you believe in mother? Where is she now? The second baby calmly and patiently tried to explain. She is all around us. It is in her that we live. Without her, there would be no world. Ha! I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the other replied, Sometimes, when you're in silence, you can hear her. You can perceive her. I believe there is a reality after delivery, and we are here to prepare ourselves for that reality when it comes. God is ushering in a new time, and we are going on to perfection. Yes, we are experiencing birth pangs, changes, but just imagine the glorious new reality that is being ushered in. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.